You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Ari Shapiro. And on tonight's show, I have brought back an absolutely killer roundtable consisting of three progressive baseball minds. I am, of course, talking about Jay's Journal Minor League Special, Craig Borden, voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and author of the baseball thesaurus, Jesse goldberg Strasler. And he covers the Florida State League. He's a writer with Prospects1500.com, Jason Woodell. The three of them sat down with me for this episode to talk about the Blue Jays and how they're doing in September, what's to come in the weeks and months ahead, and, of course, looking at the State of the Union moving into the all-too-now controversial 2018 season. Who knows what that will bring in a year to which the team has declared that they will both rebuild and compete at the same time, which almost sounds like an oxymoron, but somehow in Toronto, it sounds absolutely plausible. So now let's turn our attention to today's round table, which I'm thrilled to say has three of my favorite, favorite baseball minds who have a tremendous perspective on all things related to the minor league system and what the future could look like and how much of that future is happening right now. I'm joined by Craig Borden from Jay's Journal, Jesse Goldberg-Strasler from the Lansing Lugnuts, and Jason Waddell from Prospects1500.com. Gentlemen, great to hear all your voices again. I want to start with Jason. After a weekend in which the Blue Jays had some fairly memorable moments, for better and for worse, against the Detroit Tigers, and of course, Jason, you know what I'm talking about, about the great moments in the form of the young players uh, hitting home runs and making great fielding plays, and some of the existing players doing really crazy things like hitting into triple plays, which we don't get to see enough, apparently. I'd like to get your impressions on the series from a perspective of what it meant to see Carlos Ramirez and Tiascar Hernandez and Richard Urania do so well in front of these big crowds in Toronto. It's good for the fans. You know, this is this is the selling point for the rest of the season. This is this is who you put on the on the tickets. This is who you put on the you know, if they have a daily media guide or or, or uh, uh, some some form of handout, you know, that they give the fans with with player information on it, these are the guys that you want to focus on. And uh, Teoscar started off a little slow, but the bats come around. Um, this Carlos Ramirez guy, where did he come from? Has he mm. given up a run this year, at all? Um, I don't think he's given up some unearned runs. Yeah, how intriguing! How intriguing is that going into just just as as a, as, a, as a piece that you can you can kind of use the PR on? Look at this! Look at this depth we've now added into the bullpen with a guy who's been untouchable. And Urena, I think, is solidifying that uh, that starting shortstop position. That's that's got to be his going forward from here on out, at least until they decide if uh, Bichette's a second baseman. Or not, but Urena's Urena's got to be the guy going into 2018. At the very least, you know what I think they have with Richard Urena is a better Ryan Goins. You love his defense at shortstop or at second base, and you know he's going to provide you more offense. And correct me if I'm wrong, it, we are done with arbitration level with Goins, aren't we? Or is he a free agent? Should at the end be. Of the year? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's a free agent at the end of the season. So you got somebody now that we can slide in that is already shown that he can do it. But do you really think that? Do you really think that? I mean, I, I, Uranus floor is probably Ryan Goins. I would think. Mm, I agree. Ceiling, the ceiling's much much higher. Yeah, at his worst, he's Ryan Goins. 
but the ceiling is 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 pretty high and and the gloves there and that's what you want out of a shortstop i think if you're going to build around starting pitching yeah, somebody that was can work the keystone well one way or the other with him. So I think if anything you get out of his bat as a young player right now at the major league level, it's a bonus. The thing with both him and Carlos Ramirez is that they have both been elevated to a level that has challenged them, and yet they've elevated their game for it. And I think this is what we have learned about both of these players is that they have no fear that they've come in, they have not been scared, and their performance has far from suffered, far from being challenged, they both stepped up to it. So is Hernandez. I think he's going to be the guy that you got to uh, uh, get the fans excited about. I've seen a lot of tweets from Blue Jays fans talking about what it'll look like with him in right field, and he's going to cost $18 million cheaper than Bautista and I mean, the qualifying offer for free agents now is what 17 million. So, even if you're uh, even if you're looking to sign an outfielder in free agency, you're probably going to have to pay if he's if if he's a dynamic player, you're going to pay a minimum 15 per year. I don't think you have to do that now. You can reallocate those funds towards somewhere else. I was just thinking with Hernandez, the worst case scenario I think is he's starting into the outfield one way or the other, and you might bring in another guy to complement in left or put him in left and put somebody else mm-hmm. in right. Worst case, he's going to be in that outfield, I think, next year, and he's only showing that. And being at the game on Saturday and seeing the crowd and seeing still that that excitement existed there and it was not a paltry crowd at that, I think one of the most important things, and you mentioned, well, this is PR. That is exactly what this is about. This is about showing this fan base, you know, maybe you've heard about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or maybe you've heard about Anthony Alford, but that's not all that we have in our farm system. We actually do have guys ready to step in and help us next year. And so there is this PR. There is this idea of, look, look what we've been cooking. We're ready to rebuild. We're ready to reload. We're bringing in September guys who can help us out. How fitting is it that the last time the, the four of us got together on a roundtable, he was predominantly all we talked about. And after a couple slow games getting, you know, uh, to adjust, he started to heat up and catch fire and generate that that buzz on social media. What I really liked that last roundtable between all of us was that we did take that longer look forward. And we did say, forget this season. The Jays need to look for their immediate contributors next time. They need to look for guys who can immediately step in and help them, and who would that be? And these were the guys that we mainly fixed uh, upon. The last time we all got together, we did, as you mentioned, a great deal of back-and-forth banter related to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and it wouldn't stop. And I think it enjoyed doing as a favorite pastime at this stage in the game. But I want to go around the table and start with you, Jesse. What did it mean to you? Because I'm imagining that there was a certain pride beaming from you when Keith Law came out and effectively told the baseball world that the Toronto Blue Jays have the best prospect in the game. You know what I felt? I felt like, I felt justification. Mm. I think when you watch excellence play personally, you say, I believe that this person is good. I want somebody else to recognize that too. And so whenever, let's say my team plays on national television and they succeed, I then check in with the national pundits and go, huh, huh, where's the praise? Mm -hmm. This is what that was, that I saw how great Guerrero was 
all the way up until the second week of July. His teammates saw that too, and I was waiting to say, is anybody else going to recognize this, or is this a secret, or am I wrong? And so Keith Law is somebody that (laughs) – Jay's Twitter is not always his biggest fan, right? But Keith is a talent evaluator of sorts, and he has harsh opinions. He lets you know forthright, for good or for bad, here's exactly what I think. And so his opinion being that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the number one prospect in baseball, I said to myself, "Uh uh-huh, recognition. I think what it does is this that our farm system is not as good, bad as everybody has been saying for years. To Jesse's note on that, Vladimir Guerrero has been, for all of us, the best, best, best prospect in baseball. Now that you have him as the pundit on top of this whole uh, ranking list, you've got the Boba Shets and everybody that's going to downfall. That, that ranking system for the 100 is going to look a lot different this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's peppered with blue chips. I'm surprised that uh, Law ranked him ahead of Acuna, but I kind of view those guys 1A, 1B. Can you really argue one way or the other when you're, you know, when you're looking at these rankings? Um, he's just so dynamic, and and I think the one thing that he has that Acuna that Acuna does not have is the discipline, plate discipline within the zone. This guy, having seen him play, and and let me just say that. Of probably the ten games I've gone to, I've yet to see him hit a home run. Um, he's probably, I think, got one extra base hit. I've seen him hit probably ten pop-ups in the infield. Um, but I, I, I saw a lot of him when he first came up to Dunedin. One thing I never saw him do was chase out of the zone. Uh, one thing I never saw him do was get fooled. Um his timing, I think, was a little bit off because the pitchers are so much better in the Florida State League. Uh, but this guy takes a man-sized hat. I've posted a ton of video on his at-bats, and it's not the best quality, uh, you know, I understand. I don't know if the videos that I post show the force with which this guy swings. Um, he's one of the very few guys that I don't think needs to shorten his swing with two strikes. And I think that 99% of the of the other, not only prospects, but players in baseball, not named Joey Votto, Miguel Cabrera, uh, need to need to cut down on their swing with two strikes. He's one of the he's one of the handful of guys that I want swinging for the fences because he's still going to barrel the ball and he's not going to go out of the zone to hit his pitch. So it's no surprise to me that that he's getting all the love that he's now getting. And Jim Callis, I heard him on MLB Network this summer. He put him in the Hall of Fame already. Yes, he's been wanting to do that for a while now. <laughs> yeah, he came out and said that Vlad Jr. should give his dad's Hall of Fame speech when he gets in, and then in 20 years, Vlad Sr. can come back and give Jr.'s Hall of Fame speech. <laughs> and, the, and the panelists thought he was crazy, but Callis stuck to his guns. And... Um, so kudos to that. I think he's proving everybody who was a fan of his right. Definitely. It's so funny because you said the Florida State League pitchers are better. And then he goes out there and he hits above 380 in the month of August and he wins the Florida State League Player of the Month. And everyone, the fun thing is you can question his defense and the idea, what in the world is his position? Is he going to be a third baseman going up? You question his feet. 
And then you look right back at the bat and you say, this is a special bat. He is going to lead the league in categories. He is going to be impactful. I will say right now, I will bet anything you name that he is going to be a 300, 400, 500 slash line guy. He's going to have, he's going to put up Joey Votto type slash lines. He's going to put up young Pujols, young Frank Thomas, young Miguel Cabrera type slash lines. He may not hit the home runs that those guys do right off the bat, but the average OBP slugging, the OPS, will all be there, and it could be there as soon as 2019. 2018 second half, I think he's getting the call, but I think you really start to see. Blue Jays fans will see him in 2019, and they will see what I'm talking about with a 300, 400, 500 slash line. Yeah, I definitely do not argue on the, those slash line numbers. We're already seeing the mouth of you know, popping his bat. I don't care if it's going over the fence or not. Think of how hard he hits the ball playing in the Rogers Center and just hitting that carpet and just rolling to the fence. And he's got the wheels to leg out doubles and triples, too. So it's going to be very intriguing to see what he gets once he gets out into the level. Now, I have to say, and I know you guys will probably agree with me on this one, how fitting was it that Keith Law said the, that he's the number one prospect in baseball and now he's a champion in the Florida State League? That was a game. I was at game three. Uh, I, that was the only game I got to go to. That was that was a pretty phenomenal game. If you're a Blue Jays fan, because that uh, Vlad Jr. Bichette didn't really do much at all in that game. That comeback was B.J. Davis, um, Oliveris, Jake Thomas. Mm. Those guys. Those guys were the were the ones who. Uh, who showed up big in the uh, in the in the top of the ninth? Bichette looked terrible all game. Eric Swanson and and uh, Jordan Foley made him look bad all game. But DJ Davis, we talked about how hot he was last time we were together. DJ mm-hmm. Davis with a blue double plates two to to yep. uh, to solidify or to add on to that lead. And let me just let me just say this about game three. I don't want to monopolize the time, but uh, Jordan Foley was dominating that Blue Jays lineup in the eighth inning. And he was throwing high 90s and just kept painting the black on these lefties. The heart and soul of the the Dunedin Blue Jay team, according to uh, Daniel Venn and the media guys and Jim Jim T up there doing the radio, is Juan Kelly. Juan Kelly draws a walk off of him. This guy, the inning before, had made Bichette look bad, made Biggio look bad, and got Vladdy Jr. out. Juan Kelly, and then to start the inning, I'm sorry, makes Connor Panis look bad. And Connor Panis had accounted for the only two runs of the game with two solo home runs. Juan Kelly draws the walk. Oliveris singles off the shortstop's glove, Kyle Holder. And then Jake Thomas, little-known Jake Thomas, light-hitting Jake Thomas, who may never do anything else in his pro career, uh, puts up a good at bat, Foley continues just 94-95 on the, on the black on the outside corner, and Jake Thomas just flips that ball into left field to score Kelly. He tries to do the same thing to D.J. Davis, does not go inside at all. D.J. Davis takes him oppo left field, flips it into left field for a double, and it, like that, it was over. That was It was such an incredible uh, inning 
to watch play out, you know, to see a guy that was so dominant and to see the bottom order of the Jays after he made the, the, the all-stars on that team look terrible, the bottom order make the necessary adjustments and to get these and to get, to get the win. Those guys can play. You know, it's really fun to listen to so on this, the radio too. I want to go back to what you mentioned about your proposed Vladimir Guerrero Jr. timeline, because I think that I used to agree with you and now I'm having second thoughts with how he played in Dunedin. And he and Bo are very likely going to get the non-roster invitee uh, to Major League Spring Training Camp just to show off so everybody can see them and see how they perform. I could absolutely see Vladdy, if everything goes well, going right to A New Hampshire next year instead of, as I expected, starting the season with A-Advanced Dunedin. And if he excels in New Hampshire, I think he's getting a major league call-up by the end of next season. I agree. I, I don't see a reason why they would put those guys back at, at Dunedin. Selfishly, I want them to, uh, just so I get to see them a little bit more, but I don't, I don't see a reason why, and I don't think you're rushing them. If you look at the top 100 prospects list, it is littered with 19, 18 to 20 year old guys. Um, there's no reason. There's no reason to think that uh, he can't be up if the Jays are contenders and if they want to. It just comes down to if they want to start his arbitration clock. There's no reason to think that he couldn't be up by the All Star break next year. It's, it just it just comes down to how they want to how they want to play it. What they have to do with the 40 man roster. Um, that's the reason we're not seeing Ronald Acuna in September because of the 40-man roster and, and saving those spots for Rule 5 players. That's what it boils down to. Um, and I think next year he's really going to distance himself from, from Bichette as far as they're kind of like 1A, 1B now, it seems like, in a lot of the minds of Blue Jays. I think I think Bichette will, will have a good season next year. I think, I think Vlad will absolutely blow up next year and and it might be the first time that they're not pro teammates next year so well it's it's interesting that uh, jason you mentioned the excitement behind the 300 400 500 slash line because this year all we had were 200 300 and 400 slash lines <laughs> from players who were extremely overpaid um and i, I don't want to beat a dead horse we've all spent a considerable amount of time talking about the frustrations behind Kendris Morales and Jose Bautista's performances. Does seeing, Craig, what Hernandez is doing, what Urania is doing, what the prospect of having Bichette and Guerrero in 2019 with a core that we've already discussed will include Marcus Stroman, hopefully Devin Travis, Aaron Sanchez, and Roberto Asuna. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm giving you ample opportunity to be gushing about what the future could look like moving on from 2019. How will we get there going through 2018? Describe the journey, all three of you, starting with you, Craig, of what fans should literally expect in 2018 in order to get to that so-called promised period of time. In all reality, Ari, I'm wondering what the heck they're going to do with all this talent come spring training. Um, <laughs> we've heard from everybody here in the round table about the time frame for the youngsters and they're anything from bring them up now. Why are we waiting to, you know, two years away? How many of them are going to come into spring training with that non-roster invitee, see some major league pitching and then, you know, work their way onto the major league roster. It could be anything. We might have one of the weirdest problems ever by having all of a sudden too much talent to worry about how we are going to fit Vladdy and Josh Donaldson at third base. 
um, oh, we need to free up a designated hitter, get Kendris Morales out of here and trade him. Or, you know, there could be a wonderful controlled chaos about what's going on as we, these guys are all flooding at the same time in the next year or so. And where, where is this controlled chaos going to go? I think Anthony Alford deserves a shot to play every day in Major League Baseball, too. So do you have him and Teoscar, you know, straddling around Kevin Pillar in the outfield next year? Or are they going to go out into the free agent market and grab somebody? It's very interesting to see where all these things could play out over the offseason. Let me focus on Ari, the bullpen, because this team has had an awful lot of blown saves this year. Otherwise, that record could be better. And it would not take too much to make the record look much prettier than it does. It's. I think the blown saves have been a big problem. And so I would go into next year and I'd take a good, hard look at the bullpen. Uh, whether it's Carlos Ramirez with what he's showing you right now, whether you challenge Roberto Osuna in the off offseason, um, whatever it might be, I think that that's a place where if I was the Jays, I would concentrate hugely upon it and secure it and make sure that I'm feeling good about it entering next season. And if you do, you lock up more wins for yourself. What do you guys think about them possibly stretching Osuna out and moving him to the rotation? Bluntly honest, I think it's a bad idea. We've seen Java Chamberlain fail doing that and back with the Yankees how many times, and it's been done over and over again. I think he's comfortable in his role, and I just think he should be running with that. You know we have one of the best closers in baseball if he keeps doing what he's been doing. Yeah, I think I think those days and that notion, uh, I think it's past. I think Osuna is your closer. So let me ask this question then as a follow-up to you, Jesse. Are you satisfied with Biagini as a as a realistic viable option in 2018 to be the fifth starter on this team? No. I think that if he was a swingman or if he was a number six where in emergency, if you needed him, sure, go ahead. But I would prefer him back in the bullpen. I'd prefer a better starting option. I think he's the right hand equivalent of Scott Downs from the Dark Jays days. <laughs> Dark indeed. I th- Yeah, I, I think you need more bullpen depth. Uh, the guy's got talent. He's got, a, he's got a decent arm. I would like to see them make a splash on the free agent market. With and at this point, we talked about Sanchez off, uh, you know, earlier before before we started this. I feel like the Jays need to build up as much starting pitching depth as they can, without Sanchez included. And at that way, if he's healthy, then you have a Cy Young candidate. And if he's not, your season's not derailed. Uh, you can, and you can never have too much depth. That's not a problem. We've just, we've talked, uh, you know, quite a bit about the the position player depth that could be coming up with with Alford, Hernandez, Urena, Gurriel, uh, all potentially, you know, next as early as next season. But we need more starting pitching depth. And I don't trust Connor Green. I don't trust Sean Reed Foley. I don't trust John Harris. I do trust Ryan Barucki. But that's one guy um, adding to the mix of Stroman, possibly Estrada, uh, hopefully Sanchez, maybe Biagini, maybe Brett Anderson. I feel like that's where you have to you have to throw all your off-season energy into creating as much depth and competition in spring training in that rotation. 
So, Jason, if the relief pitching keeps overachieving in September, and we've seen a lot of signs of that in the last few weeks, especially with uh, the emergence of Ramirez hot on everyone's lips of, of what he's getting done with his with his approach. It's fascinating to watch him. He reminds me of someone that uh, looks like he can handle a lot of pressure. He's, he throws like someone who's been out there for, for let's say, half a decade already. I, I like his poise. And then I look at some of the other great stories this year, uh, especially Ryan Tapera, although, you know, he's had some recent struggles, especially as Asuna struggled. There are definitely commodities in the bullpen. And I'm wondering, do you use some of them to acquire that starting pitching? Uh, do you keep using your bullpen as this kind of who's the flavor of the month? Might be Santos, might be Rowley, might be someone who steps up and maybe shows a little bit of uh, attractive signs to would-be suitors. And do you make a trade utilizing some of those resources? Or do you stockpile the bullpen just like the starters and hope that you have enough in spring training 2018? Well, you're going to have to spend money on these guys Fortunately for the Jays, if if you go into the season with Osuna as your closer, you're not going to tinker with him. You're not going to mess with him. You're not going to stretch him out. He's your guy. You could put Ramirez slotted in in the eighth and then look for that lefty on the free agent market, even if you have to overpay him for a little bit. The Royals have, have proven, and the Yankees uh, you know, have also shown if you can make it a six-inning game, you have a better shot of winning uh, than you do if you got a if you got some question marks on the back end of that bullpen. So I'd like to see them, you know, go go after a guy. I don't know who's going to be a free agent. Relief pitchers are so mercurial, anyways. But you might have to overpay one of those dominant hard-throwing relievers. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because they, if you overpay them for one year, they, they don't usually garner long-term deals. So I don't have a problem throwing a little bit of money at a guy to solidify a bullpen, add a, you know, a veteran presence in it, because uh, the starting pitching is going to cost you. You know, it's you can fill in with stop gaps. Stop gaps only get you so far. Uh, they're going to have to go out and be players on the free agent starting pitching market. And if they can't be, then that's when you turn to the minor league system. Use some of that depth you have to try and acquire a young, controllable starting pitching uh, starting pitcher on the on the market. And there should be some guys out there uh, that could be available via trade. I want to continue on in that bullpen because I think Tim Mays is your lefty in the pen. I love what he's giving you. I love his ceiling. And there's a hard-throwing lefty with a killer slider. And then I think next year you make the move and you convert Connor Green to the bullpen. And then you have a guy who's throwing 100 ready to come up. Uh, I think Connor Green goes right in as six, seven inning guy. And you tell him also, Connor, just go out there, throw the living heck out of the baseball and get everybody out. And this way you don't even have to worry about starting. There's your guy. Blow that guy away. And I think Green can be a back-of-the-bullpen kind of guy down the road. And I don't think you're wrecking it by moving him to the bullpen either because it's the same thing as, like, you know, Sanchez did. Remember when he came up, that's what he was doing, and then you stretched him out over the next spring, and there you go. If you think he gets that major league experience by that, I think he would be a solid arm to have in the bullpen. I spoke to a scout the last time I was in Dunedin who who was a big Connor Green fan. He was telling me that 
he's just it's not that he's lost his way it's not that he's lost his mechanics he just thinks that he can blow everyone away and even in double a the fastball it's good but you know if guys see it three or four times you know through a game it's even double a guys are going to turn it around i think i agree with you guys i think he's going to play better um out of the bullpen and unless he decides he wants to start using his other pitches uh, but right now he's he's just he wants to throw the ball through a wall and it hasn't it hasn't been good so i think he's he's kind of one of those candidates that that could be a bullpen piece and could be probably pretty devastating too out of the bullpen in short burst how company would you guys be with Ryan Barucki actually making the uh, starting pitching next year out of spring training, being like the fifth starter? Me personally, watching him make the transformation that he's made this year, that extra pitch has been the, the new sliced bread. <laughs> he's been on fire all season. And he's been a pleasure to watch. i say why not? Why not put him in there as the number five starter? He's smart. He's confident. Uh his changeup is ready right now. He knows exactly how to go about attacking these batters. I'd love to see that AAA made no difference to him. So, yes, uh, it, let's say Baraki goes out there and spring training continues to show you exactly what you hope that he does, which is that the moment's not too big for him and he can keep on executing. Make him your number five starter, sure. I hope it, I hope they do as well. He's, he's a guy that I wouldn't be too concerned about starting an arbitration clock. So if he falters, you're not you're not necessarily losing per se much, um, you know, as you would if you, let's say they just got really crazy and tried to see if Vlad Jr. could make the Pujols leap from A ball to, to the big leagues and you start his clock, he fails, and then you're in trouble, um, you, you know. But Barucki's one of those guys, he's not like, he's, you don't have to sit him in, in, in the minors for two weeks. If he has a good spring training and can keep, and can keep the ball down, guy has a plan. He's got. He can control three pitches. And can we say that about some of the other options that might be out there? And he's going to cost you nothing. So you, I think they did definitely have a diamond in the rough. And and I hope that they. I think they realized that because they were aggressive with him. Once they saw double A was too easy. Maybe not easy is the best word to. But once they saw that he was successful at double A, you know they they moved him to triple A and it was as if it was as if he was still thrown in the backyard. I love that they were just like they're throwing it at him and just go, stop me now if you can, you know. <laughs> he just picked up the ball and ran with it all season. It was, a, like I said, watching him on the uh, broadcast for the uh, Buffalo Bisons at the end of the se- season here, was I was treating it as must-see TV. I, he's a wonderful pitcher to watch, very nice in form, and he does make – it misses the meat of the bat every time. It's amazing to watch. He's got a little bit of Tom Glavin in him. That's who. That's who he reminds me of. With, with a slider. You know, he will. I think he's meaner than Glavin. He might be. <laughs> he's another guy. I just two sport guy. Glavin was a two sport guy as well with the hockey. Barucky, Barucky is is adamant that if if he were to blow his elbow out and could never pitch again, that he could walk on to a D one team and earn a scholarship in basketball. So. <laughs> That's the type of bulldog athlete that I want on the mound. Um, Nothing will rattle him. And just just to put that in perspective, you just compared Ryan Barucki to a 300-win player. <laughs> that is never going to happen again, in my opinion, in Major League Baseball. 
just because of the way the yeah. bullpens and everything are used these days. But just to have that idea that you were comparing him to Tom Glavin, which I think is a very appropriate fit, actually. Similar employees, but like you said, that bulldog mentality is there, and I think Jesse hit the nail on the head on that one. And I, you don't see him get rattled when when he when I saw him pitch, he gave up a lot of just weak base hits. It was right place, right time. Nothing was hit hard off of him. Um, you know, he might have walked one or two guys, but you don't see him get rattled. You don't see him get upset. He's not upset at his defense. Uh, if if he comes up and keeps the ball down and the Jays catch the ball behind him, he has a chance to to win double-digit games. Well, and I think it would be a little bit too much to assume that someone from the Blue Jays brass is listening to this podcast. I do have a lot of listeners, but in the event that they're not listening to this podcast, I think it's now my personal responsibility to send them a copy of this show and the previous one where we all talked about Baruki. I mean, you would think just by listening to the three of you gush about him that this is something that could really factor into the future of this uh, of this major league franchise. And considering that it all hinges on Aaron Sanchez and his health, because let's face it, if he can pitch and he pitches consistently in 2018, a lot of these questions get answered by themselves. Otherwise, it turns into a potential challenge for the club. And as a segue, I went on Twitter a few days ago and, and decided to poll my followers to ask them what their most memorable moment in the 2017 campaign is going to be. And it's one of those bittersweet things because it hasn't been a great year. A lot of fans are frustrated and disappointed. I listed things like Tulo's first, uh, his Tulo's injury at first base, uh, Asuna's social anxiety, uh, Pilar's suspension, and Sanchez and his aforementioned blisters. And of course, that's dominating the poll at 61% of those who answered. I want to start with you, Craig. Give me your seminal moment of the 2017 campaign for better and for worse that you're going to look back with uh, maybe crestfallen eyes. Now, are we talking good or bad news here, Ari, is the first question. <laughs> well, you know, I'm also a half-filled kind of guy, so if you want to tell me something positive, but it has to be truly sincere. Like, it can't be, you know, watching a, a really clever backflip or seeing, you know, the Jays hit seven home runs in a game. If it's going to be something positive, then let it be something inspirational. <laughs> I, I think the story of the Blue Jays' 2017, or, uh, 2017 season is centralized around the idea that things, just like Aaron Sanchez's blister, were the story of the season. You had nothing but injuries that started us off on the wrong foot and then not enough depth to properly step up into those roles. What I think it showed is that the Blue Jays were not ready to fully compete this season, regardless of the fact that we were getting older and kept the center and the core together for the most part. It might have shown that Edwin Encarnacion was a bigger part of that chemistry than once realized. Oh, 2017 amen. was the shakeup that is going to lead, I think, to a competitive 2018. It showed that you cannot continue with the status quo, and this needs to be changed period. And as far as upsides go, I'm glad that we have had a full, another full season at Kevin Pillar, even though he struggled at times at the plate. He has finally shown up at the plate recently, and he has done nothing but continue to be Superman in center field. And if he is not in the top three voting for center field, which I'm seeing that getting more and more convoluted in the gold glove race with Byron Buxton and all the others coming into the play. If he's not in that conversation, it's going to be kind of insulting again. 
All right, I voted for Sanchez's blisters uh, <laughs> just because it's it it it's it's to me it's unfathomable how this is an issue that can't that can't be corrected yeah. and it's going to be this guy has nothing wrong with his elbow not, that we know of nothing wrong with his shoulder but he can't get on the mound because of the blisters and that's got to be incredibly frustrating for the fans for the front office and for him personally uh, i don't know how you how you manage that other than you you bring him back obviously um but you build you build your rotation as if he's not there and when he is then then great and if he's not then you have that depth to withstand those injuries and you're not running you know uh run of the mill uh quadruple a players out there that that'll go out there and get shelled but another moment i think for me that that i was just really happy to see was the evolution of justin smoke uh this is a guy that at least on a fantasy perspective i've been a couple like pretty deep keeper leagues and dynasty leagues and and every year i would just target justin smoke as just this cheap this cheap option that I know he's going to hit home runs. The Blue Jays turn every hitter around. They turned Jose Bautista into an all-star. Uh, they they uh, untapped Edwin and Carzanacion's potential when, when he was jettisoned out of Cincinnati. Uh, that's what they do, and I thought as soon as they got him, I was like, Smoke's going to have a big year. He didn't the first year. He was okay the second year. And doggone it, if this year I just didn't give up on him and let him go. And here we are, you know. Uh, so Justin Smoke is is my positive moment of the uh, of the season. And I I said this I think on you know one of the first times I was on your show that if I'm a Jays fans should always have hope that they can take a project at this point. Now they're three for three. They can take a project and turn them into an all star. Not many teams can do that. On the upside, I would go with that Steve Pierce. Grand Slam weekend, and that seven-run rally in the bottom of the ninth inning, which showed that there's still magic in Rogers Center. Uh, that when the Blue Jays win games, it's it's memorable. It's it's unforgettable. Uh, I think the the season was summed up in a nutshell for me by the 19-inning loss to the Red Sox, that setting a record for walk-off losses and the ways that they lose games. That that one was so in, inexorable. And maybe it even felt inevitable at times that that was this Jays season that you go sticking with them inning after inning. Maybe they'll find a way to win it, but not in 2017. No, it's it's just not meant to be. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, these stories don't always have happy endings. And we all look forward to the season thinking to ourselves that we had all the components in place, but I think you'll all agree that there was that sense, that foreboding sense of, you know, there's some exposure, there's some depth concerns. And of course, the baseball gods sometimes get together and conspire against every fan's team in this world at some point or another. And this was the year it seemed like they collectively got together and said, we will give you a record number of players on the disabled list. We will give you an assortment of bizarre events, and, and not just the ones that were heavily publicized, but the game within the game of players who found ways to either underachieve, uh, suffer from the natural you know, ravages of time, and also find themselves in, in really dubious circumstances where 
Rogers could not explain what's happened. Why are there still blister problems? Why are certain players still on the DL? Uh, you know, the Russell Martin would seem to be a whole mystery the entire season, every time he came up with some kind of malady. And, of course, we all know when you're missing your catcher, who just by his presence can lower the runs allowed by as much as half per game, that's when you start realizing how this cavalcade. I want to get your impressions. Let me ask you, Jesse, how were we able to last this long with, I think, a rotation of six backup catchers who were all outdoing each other with levels of mediocre play? Do you mean how us as fans were able to last this long? <laughs> precisely, precisely. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's I grew up rooting for the Detroit Tigers when they were miserable. My favorite player in this universe is Alan Trammell, and he was installed as manager, and I was so thrilled for him. And remember what happened that year and how many games they lost? So there's this feeling as a baseball fan that tomorrow's a new game, and maybe they'll win today. And then the day after that, well, maybe today is, is going to be better. Maybe this player will turn it around. Because baseball is such a day-in, day-out sport, it does allow you to have new optimism even when you wake up and realize you're not going to make the playoffs. So if you care about your team and you care about the sport, you care and so you get through to September, and when the season ends, even if the season was miserable, you still miss it. Brilliant. I want to close out on that note because it sounds so bittersweet and hopeful. And uh, you should also be mindful, Jesse, that I'm one of the few now who truly understands how horribly robbed Alan Tremel was of the 1987 MVP award when my childhood favorite player, George Bell, stepped in with an 0 for 32 finish to the season and lost the division crowd and the baseball writers still gave it to him on the merits of his 47 home runs and 134 RBIs. That was a completely improvisational, so it tells you how near and dear that factoid is to my heart. Let's go around the table. I want to start with Jesse. Talk about what you're working on and how our listeners can find you on social media. My lug nut season is done. The Around the Nest podcast is also concluded. Uh, checking in with all the minor league affiliates, so you can still find that on Twitter at Around Nest. I'm at Che Goldstress, and my off season is traveling and writing, so I get to now relax. You could find me at Che Goldstress, J G O L D S T R A S S. The other guys, follow them. I'll go next. Um, my name is Craig Borden. I'm with jaysjournal.com. I'm the minor league writer who has been, you know, got my September call up here in the last month of the season. But uh, Nick Rampany and I are the minor league writers for Jays Journal. We're kind of trying to find a nice, fun way to be going through some of these minor league headlines for the full season. So we're going to collect our minds there and figure out what we can put together as a kind of like a series thing over the course of a couple of weeks before we get diving into the year reviews and, this is what's coming on for the next top prospects. We might even do a way too early Blue Jays top prospect list. So keep in, keep in touch with us. Um, you can find me at Craigers1221 on t- Twitter. It's C-R-A-I-G-E-R-S-1221. And always tune in to Jays Journal. I'm Jason Waddell. I'm on Twitter at Jason at the Game. Uh, I just released my 2017 minor league all-star team. Uh, Jays fans... Don't don't uh, burn me at the stake because I had Vlad Jr. on the second team. Um, it wasn't a prospect thing. Uh, I was trying to go by wins or uh, WRC plus and and ISO. I just could not keep Beavers and Nick Sinzel off that first team. Um, I just released a 
2017 top 150 prospects that have not reached double-A yet. Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette are one and two, spoiler alert, but I do have a third J in the top 17, so check that out. That's at prospectstorm.com. You can also find it on Twitter at Jason at the Game. Spoiler, DJ Davis. <laughs> I, I, might, I, I might even add a sound effect to that in the edit, quite frankly. It, it, it merits that. <laughs> you know, I, I, be like Pac-Man. I, I just released that this afternoon, and this is why I love Jay's fans. I just rele- released that this afternoon, and uh, uh, one of this guy responds to me. He says, uh, this is awesome, three Jays in the top 17, but where's Olivares and, and Josh Palacios? And, and I was like, ah, oh, Olivares, Olivares was on my list. It's just, it's, I had to, I had to be like, you know, when you, when you're adding, you know, 30 some odd, you know, first round picks with small sample sizes, it's, it's kind of hard to be like, who's a pretender, who's a bust, who I really, who do I really, really like? Um, you know, do I have to rank Hunter Green so high? You know, it's, I don't particularly like him, but everyone else does peer pressure, uh, you know, <laughs> type deal. So, yeah, I love Jay Sands. Where's Ol- Where's Olivares? You know, that's so. I have to jump in just because I want to not feel left out. Spoiler alert: Was that tweet from Jesse? No, no, <laughs> I, no, it was not. Um, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, just had to make a joke. <laughs> had to make a joke, Jesse. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can take it. I'm currently making my own Blue Jays prospect list that I will direct message you after this call completes. Perfect. Well, and then hit me up with that as well. I'll retweet that all over the corners of the Twitterverse. Gentlemen, what a, what a roundtable. I can't say enough how much I appreciate you all participating. You've been listening to the Jays Journal minor league guru, writer and contributor Craig Borden, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and author of the Baseball Thesaurus, Jesse Goldberg-Strasler, and a writer-blogger for Prospect1500.com. He also covers the Florida State League, Jason Waddell. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Art.